Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector. I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. And here's how it works. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have a 10-minute conversation about each of them, and that's it. No fluff. We get right to it. Hopefully, lots of actionable tips and strategies you can use to grow your audience and business. That's what we usually do, but today is going to be a special episode because today is going to be a flip the script episode. And what that means, instead of someone asking me questions, I brought on a special guest whose expertise I want to learn from and that I think you will also find very helpful. And I am going to ask her the three questions. Today, my guest is Kaylee Moore, who I have followed on Twitter and read her newsletter. And we've gone back and forth a bunch of times, but we've never actually spoken. So this is going to give us a chance to actually speak, which is awesome. For the past decade, Kaylee has been writing long form blog content for e-commerce software and the tools that integrate with them. She also has sent a newsletter with writing and freelancing tips since 2015. She co-hosts the Freelance Writing Coach podcast and contributes to publications like Forbes, Vogue Business, and Inc. Magazine. So with all that in mind, hey, Kaylee, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing Thanks this. For yeah, thanks for having me. I am super excited to talk to you because you are someone whose work I really admire when it comes to not only writing, but freelancing and the kind of solopreneur creator thing, which means a million different things these days. But what I wanted to have you on and sort of focus on is we're going to talk a lot today about freelance writing specifically, although I also think it'll be applicable to anyone that freelances in some sort of creative capacity. So let's get right into it. The first thing that I want to know is what would you say are the three biggest differences between freelance writers who regularly get work and get paid good rates for it and the ones who get sporadic work and get paid low rates for it? Yeah, so I've been in both positions. So this is my 10th year of freelance writing full time. And when I started out, I was definitely in the boat of I will take any project that comes my way, no matter if it's a $25 article or whatever it is. So it took me a long time to figure out how to get to the other side of that equation. And I think what I've learned over the course of those 10 years is that the writers who get those high rates and that consistently book work without having to do like a ton of hustling to get new jobs, the work just kind of gets referred to them and they're known within a space. The secret to that is specialization. So it wasn't until I found a niche and focused on doing blog writing specifically for e-commerce platforms and the software tools that integrate with them that I really kind of found my place within the freelancing ecosystem. So I think that that's a big secret is when you start out, you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to take any job that comes my way because it's feast or famine, right? You kind of have to. You're, you're just mm -hmm. trying to pay your bills. And so you think that you have to be everything for everyone. And once you start saying no to things and being really specific about what it is that you offer, that's when people start to remember who you are and what you do. It becomes stickier in their brains. So I think that for me, really finding that area of specialization, focusing on one thing and kind of working hard to become the go-to person for that specific industry is what put me in that spot where I could finally like build a foundation, build a reputation, constantly building on the knowledge that I already have instead of starting from scratch every time I got a new assignment and scrambling to kind of figure things out. It was a win-win. And so I think that's the secret sauce. 
So let's talk about, let's dive into that because I'm sure people are listening to that. And and by the way, I think this is true for everything and everyone pushes against that, but I can do this and I can do that. And I like doing that. And I don't want to turn down this business, especially when they're starting, right? Everyone has that instinct. I got to take on this client and I got to do that. I think people who have gotten to a certain level, again, whether it's freelance writing, whether it's building your own consulting business, whatever it is, you do start to realize that that secret is you do have to get more specific. And ironically, that leads to more business, not less. Let's talk about either in your own personal experience or how you advise other people the obvious question of like, okay, but how do I figure out what to specialize? Yeah, that's the big like, question, right? Is how do yeah. you know what the thing is? So for me, I tried a lot of different things until I figured out what I enjoyed doing, who had the money to pay the high rates that I wanted, and what I could consistently get work for. So I did a lot of trial and error those first couple of years. I tried website copywriting. I tried landing page copy. I tried emails. I I did a little bit of everything. And so Mm. I figured out what it was that I enjoyed doing. And then I also found like, oh, wow, there's actually companies who have budget for this type of work. So I think experimentation is kind of the name of the game. Again, that's that's kind Mm. of true for anything, not just for freelance writing. I think that it's also a matter of how do you know how to sell yourself? Can you explain your value proposition in a way that makes sense to your clients? So that was another big thing too, is It's intimidating when you're starting out. You think you have this imposter syndrome. You have all these doubts in your mind about, I should just be grateful if anybody wants to give me money for doing anything. But once you understand how to position yourself and say, here's how I can help you. Here are the things I can deliver. And here's exactly why you need to work with me over everybody else. That I think is kind of the formulaic approach to expressing your value proposition and getting it to click with the people you want to hire you. You have to speak their language. You have to know what they're working towards. And then just like when you're selling anything, you have to touch on their pain points and tell them how you can solve them. And that's in a way expressing why you're worth the money that you're asking for. Yeah. And I think I want to highlight something you said, because I think it often gets overlooked by people that I think a lot of people do look at it and go, well, this is the work I most like to do, or this is what I'm really good at. But I think they often ignore, is there a market there to pay for it? How big is that market? I see a lot of people, and you see this especially in the space where people are not as much freelance writing, although that happens as well, but like where people are serving creators. I think a lot of people overestimate how valuable the creator market is. And because there's all this hype around it, but they're trying to sell products to creators, they don't realize for most creators, it's a side hustle at best. Right. Like that market is number one, it's not as big as I think people think it is. But number two, there's not as much money there as maybe they think that there is. And I think in writing, it's the same thing that you need to be conscious of, like, just because you want to do this thing and you want to serve this kind of client, is there enough of a market there to support you? And so I'm curious, how did you think through that piece and figure out like, okay, there are enough businesses here this is a niche that I that can be sustainable. So I come from a nonprofit background, which is so zero you know resources. it well. <laughs> yeah, zero money to spend, and I knew that that probably wasn't going to fly because being on the inside of one of those organizations, I just knew that they didn't have money to hire external help. Even though that would be great if they did, I would say like ninety percent of nonprofits yeah. just do not. So even though that's where my interest was, I was really fortunate to just kind of fall into the the world of software as a service 10 years ago when it was really just ramping up. So luck was definitely a factor for me. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that. But I think it was a matter of I was doing work for a lot of different clients. And I just found that 
nine times out of 10, the enterprise clients, the software clients, the companies with large marketing budgets, those were the ones that I could get to hire me consistently. And mm -hmm. they had the money to spend. They weren't fighting me or nickel and diming me on things. And so I was like, okay, I think I'm going to dig my heels in here and, and try to make a name for myself in this space because it seems sustainable, like you said, and, and it, it turned out to be that way. I think it's always a little bit evolving because sometimes, especially like in a space where there's a lot of venture capital, that can be ebb and flow. So you have to really continue to network. And it's not just like a one and done thing where you're like, mm -hmm. I work with software companies now and everybody's going to hire me. I think it's still very much a matter of you have to network and know people who do similar work in that space because then you get that referral engine going. And again, it's so much easier to refer somebody that you know than to say, hey, you should talk to this stranger. There's there's no pre-validation there. So I think that that's been a big piece of it, too, is just making friends within the space, trying to make a name for myself, participating in conversations that are going on in the space and things like that. I'm going to make an assumption about your work. This may or may not be true. So correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm assuming that you have a decent amount of clients where it wasn't sort of one-off work. You had clients where they're like, okay, we're going to, even if it wasn't a set amount, even if it was like, we're going to have you write one thing a month for us, but it was like, they're going to have recurring needs. Assuming that is true, is that purposeful? Is that something people should think about? Whereas, and again, this another assumption, which may not be true, but someone who's like, okay, I have one product. I have one sales page. I need to hire someone one time to write the sales page. I don't need anything else versus a client that's going to have ongoing work for you. Do you find that the, the freelance writers that are succeeding are sort of focusing a little more on stuff where getting one client can mean a, a steady stream of work as opposed to one-offs? Yes. So it's a little bit unique in that the work I do with blog content writing, it's very much ongoing. Mm -hmm. The need for constant content creation is kind of the name of the game these days. So I'm, again, in a good spot. But there are people who are landing page people or website copy people, and those are more one-off projects. So I think you can build a name for yourself and have a sustainable business built off of those more one-off type projects. They're often much higher price point than something that's kind of like a lower end of the funnel sales type thing. Like, blog content. It's very much mm -hmm. a slow burn, a long game. But again, I think networking is the secret here. If people yeah. come to know you as the person who is the go-to for that one specific thing, then you'll constantly have new clients coming in the door. So for me, a lot of my projects are ongoing, which is great because the onboarding can be really strenuous sometimes. It's a lot of work to be on the phone with somebody and get up to speed on their company mm -hmm. and get familiar with their style guide and all those things. So for me, building those long-term relationships is a win-win for both of us because then they're not having to onboard somebody new every single time. And I can kind of build off of that foundation of the things that I already know about the company, right. their likes, their dislikes, what they're trying to accomplish, things like that. And I would imagine it removes friction on both ends, right? You don't have yeah. to get up to speed with them. And for them, it creates, I don't know if calling it a moat is the right term, but there's a reason for them to keep hiring you because they don't want to have sure. to go find someone new and start over and whatever, as long as it's right. working. Great. Let's, let's it's almost quality it. control in a way. Yeah. yeah. Great. So let me get to my second question for you. And it's actually going to tie back a little bit to what you had touched on before. But basically, let's say that I'm a good writer who's interested in becoming a freelance writer. Maybe I've only blogged for myself. I haven't really done it necessarily for clients. So I'm sort of starting from scratch. I want to build a freelance writing career. What do I do in month one, basically? So I want to get your answer to that, but also tying it back to the first question, I want to talk about 
let's say that I've listened to your advice. I listened to this podcast. I listened to your advice. I picked a niche. I'm like, this is going to be my positioning. What do I do? How do I reflect that? It's one thing to put it on my website and say, hey, I'm a specialist in this. Okay, that's great. But what do I, where do I do? How do I actually get clients? How do I do that? Like you talk about networking, all that stuff. I picked my niche because I agree that's probably step one. Now, what do I do? Yeah. So a couple of things I would recommend. Number one, find people who are doing the work that you want to be doing and see if they'll almost take you under their wing as an apprentice of sorts, maybe in in a subcontracting context or like you're their apprentice, whatever it might be. People who are really busy often need help for overflow projects and things like that. So that's a really great way to learn and kind of get immersed and see from the inside what that person's process is like how they do things. And then you can take that. And when you start getting your own clients, you can implement that into your own business. But I think that that helps with some of the legwork of like business development and like getting leads and things like that. If you're subcontracting for somebody else, they're feeding you work and you're not having to do that piece of the puzzle. Obviously, you're not earning as much as the the writer who's getting paid the big bucks and had this huge workflow, but it's it's a good way to keep busy. So that's number one. Number two is go to a place like Twitter where these conversations within your industry, your niche, your, your focus area are already happening and participate. Ask people if they want to have a virtual coffee. See if you could be a guest on podcasts. Just work on building connections with people who are in that space so that, again, you're working on building a referral engine. So people can't refer you if they don't know you. So start making friends. And it's a little bit like the first day of school. It's super intimidating when you're just getting started. You think, why is anybody going to want to talk to me? But in my experience, most people are very friendly and very helpful. So if you make a thoughtful ask and you reach out and you say, hey, I'm trying to learn. How can I help you in exchange if you're willing to teach me some things? That's a really great way to do it. I think the secret here is be very intentional and don't kind of spray and pray with your approach. Right. Maybe make one, two, three small requests to people you really, really want to work with. That, in my experience, pays off a lot more than just trying to reach everyone you possibly can. And right. it's very obvious that you're phoning it in. Don't copy and paste a million DMs yes, to exactly. random, random people saying, I get those all the time now, especially okay. on the video side. Oh, do you want to reach a bunch of people? I'll make short videos for you. Yeah. What's your take on when you're starting out doing free work? Should people reach out to somebody and go, hey, you know, I'm starting out. I'm looking for credits, credentials, samples, whatever, I'd be willing to take a pass at writing a blog post for you or this or that sort of where where do you come down on that? Yeah, I'm very anti-free work just because Mm -hmm. I feel like it sets the relationship up on an uneven playing field where you're going in with this context of like, I'll do this for free. So that's not a great place to start. Well, I think, and I think on the, on the side of people hiring, I don't think it's good to take advantage of people and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah, do this for free for me and I'll get all the benefit. I think there needs to be some give and take. So I would say maybe take a discounted rate, Mm -hmm. maybe do it as a trial, like an introductory post, say, hey, I'll do this for 50% off my normal rate. And if you're happy, maybe we can set up an ongoing working relationship. But I would say the free stuff, people say work for exposure, people die of exposure. That's the saying is like people die of exposure. Different context, of course, but I think the meaning is true. You just don't get a lot out of exposure. It's not as fruitful as people think it is. Yeah. And I think to your point, it's also interesting to think about on the other end, the person that says, yeah, sure, come do this for free. What does that say about how committed they are to what they're sure. even yeah. doing? Like they're not willing to invest in their own sales page. Mm-hmm. That's probably not not a great sign either. For somebody that's new, what do you think in terms of content they should be posting 
whether it be on their social accounts, on their own blog posts, besides reaching out and trying to connect with people and have those interactions, what should they be posting and writing about and talking about? So it took me a really long time to learn this, but especially on Twitter, which I think is a great place for people who are trying to make connections and build a professional persona that's not LinkedIn, that's not Instagram. I feel like Twitter is kind of the place to do that. Find one thing to talk about and focus on that. And don't really go outside of that lane so that, again, what you're talking about becomes sticky to people. And they're like, oh, Kaylee's the one who talks about writing tips. If you're looking for writing tips, you should follow her. And don't deviate too far from that because you don't want to confuse people. You don't want somebody to follow you. And then you're tweeting about an episode of Seinfeld that you thought was funny. And then people are like, wait, why did I follow this person? You want to kind of build your authority and ethos around that one topic and become known as a person who talks about that one thing because you're working towards becoming stickier in people's minds. You want them to know you for a specific thing. And that's a simple way to do it. It's really, really tempting to talk about anything and everything. But narrowing that focus there, I think, is a smart way to build an audience. And you've probably seen that as well. I mean, you know very much how I think of you as like the audience building guy. And that's because that's what you talk about on Twitter. Mm -hmm. That is, yeah, that's what you're doing. I completely agree with that. And I I think for me, again, I think I was first on Twitter like 2007, like it was a long time ago. And for years, probably a decade plus, I just tweet about whatever I felt like. Like I have lots of interests. I'll tweet about sports, I'll tweet about comedy, like whatever. But it only started growing when I got more strategic about it and said, I'm tweeting about audience and business growth. And that's it. I'm not tweeting about anything else. I'm really pretty strict with it. I literally won't really tweet about anything else. You'll hear a lot of people that are like, well, as long as it's like 80% that topic or whatever, that's what I've done. And I noticed such a difference. And to your point, people know what to expect. The other thing that I think in general, and I'm curious to, to sort of hear your reaction to this is one of the things that I see a lot, not just with writers, but with with anybody is they tend to, if I'm a writer, I might tend to tweet about writing tips and X, Y, and Z, but that's going to appeal to other writers, not the people that are going to hire writers. So I see this all the time for you, you work with and help freelance writers as well. So that's like building an audience of writers makes sense for you. But the person that's just trying to get, let's say that I always use this example with designers. If I'm a web designer and I specialize in designing restaurant websites, The audience I want is restaurant owners, not other web designers. But I'm out there sharing all my web design tips and building an audience of other web designers, which yes, it's helpful to be part of that community, but that's not actually getting me clients because a restaurant owner doesn't want web design tips. They want me to do it for them. Mm -hmm. So to translate this into writers, and again, this is my own take, so feel free to agree, disagree, whatever. I'm curious your, your thoughts on it. But if I was a writer who, let's say, wanted to specialize in sales emails, I can be talking about sales email tips, but the person that's going to hire me doesn't want to know how to write sales emails. They want more sales. So I almost feel like if I was sharing stuff about how this company used sales emails to do X, Y, and Z, if I was tweeting about how companies are growing their sales somebody interested in growing sales is going to follow me. And then within that, I'm sort of slipping in my expertise. I'm not tweeting about here's how to become a better writer because my ideal clients don't want to know how to become a better writer. They want to hire a good writer. It's all about your objective. If you're trying to sell info products and teach people to be a better writer, that's one thing. That's where it makes sense to, to talk about that. But yes, if you're using it as a tool to grow your business, then you want to talk about like, here are the things that you should know if you're trying to accomplish X by doing Y. 
So if yep. you want to, if you want to attract more clients who need to be better at sales emails for whatever industry they're in, you want to be looking at use cases of like, here's how, here's a teardown on how I would do this differently, or here's an interesting success story and a unique approach that maybe you haven't thought about, but I can help you by doing mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z and, and implementing pieces of what they've, they've done here. And again, I think it's, what is your end goal? And so it's really tempting to, like you said, have two audiences, but it can get really confusing. And when you're just getting started, your attention is limited. You're trying to grow your business. You only have so many hours in the day. You have to be very strategic about where you invest time and energy. And I think growing the business is probably the one that should take priority over building an audience of yeah. like-minded people. Yeah. And especially if you're in a client-driven business, the truth is you don't need that many clients to right. be successful. People get caught up on, oh, I got to have thousands of followers. And what if I write yes. this thread about my life lesson that was like, that, okay, like, so you went viral. Did that get you any clients? Like, that's not the, that's not <laughs> Probably the, not. Yeah, that's not the point. Like what you learned when you were 16 does not getting someone to hire you. And, but I think I, it's interesting because even though a big part of your audience is other writers, so it makes sense for you to talk about that stuff. I still see you speaking to the SaaS world and the clients world. Like it's not, you're not all writing tips all the time. You're also somebody that the people that are going to hire you would want to follow because yeah. you, you've, you're within that space. I think you're perceived as much as an expert in that space as you are the writing space. Yeah. And it, I mean, I am kind of a confusing example because there for a while I was very exclusively tweeting about the type of work that I was doing. And now I've kind of ventured back into talking to writers and mm -hmm. mixing in some personal things just because at oh, the 10 year mark, I'm like, I need an outlet. Twitter is my water cooler. <laughs> right. I live in the Midwest. Like there's not a lot of meetups around here. I need this social interaction. Yeah. And so it has, I have gotten away from that a little bit, but when I was really growth oriented and focused on building that following there, it was very, very strict. So, well, again, and that's, I think fall. that's the other, I'm glad you said that because I think that's the other thing that people overlook. They look at the people who have already built a foundation who already have a certain size audience and they go, but she tweets about whatever she wants. Seems to work for her. Yeah. And it's like, no, but they built by being really focused. And then yeah. you get to a certain point where it's, yeah, people want to hear other stuff. A perfect example is like, if you look at Sahil, Sahil Bloom, yeah. early on, he was all finance focused. Yep. And now he's talking about his family and everything else. But like, he didn't do that in the early days. Like he did that now yeah. when he has an audience and people know him for a certain thing and now they're interested in and more. There is an evolution that can happen there. And I think you want to be careful that you're not comparing the person that's in a different situation than you are. And going, oh, I'll do what they do, but you really want right. to do what they did to get to that point. Cool. So let's, for the third question, the third thing I want to know is I want to talk about the opposite side of freelance writing. And essentially, I want to come at this from companies or individuals who are looking to hire writers, looking to build out a content team. I think there are sort of three components to this that they need to figure out, and we'll kind of take them one by one. The first one being, if I'm looking to hire, how do I find good writers? What should I expect to pay a writer? And then how do I manage writers to get the best possible results? So let's start with the first one. Someone out there who has a company and they're like, I got to find somebody to write stuff for me. How do I find someone good? Where do I look? What do I look for? All that kind of stuff. So I've said it many times, but I'm going to say it again. I think referrals from people that you know, trust and respect are always the best place to start because it's almost like pre-validation. If they're vouching for somebody else's work, they're essentially putting their stamp of approval on it. So they're not going to send you a bad recommendation. 
Mm-hmm. So start by asking around with people who maybe have an established presence doing what you're trying to do. Ask them if they have recommendations for people that they've worked with or still work with. And I would say also, like, go and see who the the, vo- the standout voices are on places like LinkedIn and Twitter and who's talking about the things that you're trying to accomplish. Who are the, the big voices there? And again, maybe they're booked up, but they could probably give you some good recommendations of people who are within your budget range, if it's a little bit lower than than what their high rates might be. People are, I think, always have a running list of, of people that they're happy to recommend. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of tapping into that and getting them. So you have to make the ask. They're not going to just land in your lap. And sometimes that can happen over email. Maybe you pick up the phone. Maybe you send a couple LinkedIn messages. But pretty quickly, I think you can get a pretty solid shortlist of recommendations mm-hmm. and then start screening from there. And what do you think? Obviously, every case is a little bit different, but let's say I get three recommendations from people I trust. They all have experience in this field and I'm trying to figure out, okay, which one is the one? What are some of the sort of things that I should be looking for? What are the signs that, and I'm not even just going to say like signs that they're good because let's assume all three are good. So some of this is about fit and about sort of picking who's the right person. What tips would you have for someone of what they should look for? Maybe questions they should ask them. Should they have them write sample stuff or like, how would you go about figuring who's the right one for me? So I would say, first of all, look at the portfolio, make sure that the writing quality, tone, voice, all of that there is a match for what you're trying to accomplish. Get on the phone with them. I think having a face-to-face or even just voice-to-voice conversation is a good way to make sure that your communication styles match and that you're kind of on the same page as far as rapport goes. It's it's just kind of one of those baseline things. You want to make sure that you, you mesh well with that person that you're going to hire. Because again, you want to hire them long-term. You don't want it to be a one-off thing because then you have to start all over. And then I think it's good to have some sort of a screening process. So it could be a paid test assignment where you are studying how well they follow directions and the brief that you provided. Maybe it's a how would you approach this particular topic so you can kind of see how their brain works when it comes to data synthesis, storytelling, narrative building, things like that. The thing that's tricky with looking at a portfolio is that can be a good body of work and you're like, oh yeah, this seems perfect. But then you get into the assignment and you're like, oh, no, this is not a good fit at all. I don't know right. what these samples were that I was looking at. But this is not on the mark. So I think the trial assignment is a good idea. You just have to be mindful of that's a bit of an investment and you have to be mm-hmm. willing to to kind of eat that if it doesn't work out. And what would you say to, to someone who, let's say it's a very small business or maybe it's just a solopreneur type. They have a course coming out or something like that. And they're like, well, okay, I could write the sales page or I could hire someone to write the sales page. Make the case to me, the person who's not sure, like, is this, is this investment worth it? I'm an okay writer. I don't need that much, but make the case to me or to this hypothetical person that it's, yeah, you should hire someone to write this sales page for you because X, Y, and And I, I always kind of think of it like if you were going to have a mural painted on the side of your building. Would you want the person who presented themselves as like a general artist who could do portraits and chalk drawings and all these different types of things? Or would you want the person who specialized in doing murals on the side of businesses and has this very specific portfolio of work doing exactly the thing you want to hire them for? You always want the specialist. So I think that that should be part of the screening process, too. Is this person specialized enough to do a good job for you and your very specific needs? 
the the second part of this, which is I know impossible to answer because there's a million variables, but I'll ask it anyway. What should I'm hiring a writer? I haven't hired a writer before. What should I expect to pay? And again, I know there's a million variables, but what is sort of the range? How should I be thinking about it? Yeah. So it's really different based on the type of project that you're doing. A website copy project is going to be priced really differently than writing articles or writing blogs or writing emails. Mm -hmm. So there are some benchmark reports out there that you can take a look at and kind of get a ballpark for experience level, type of work, what you can expect to pay. I think, again, this is a great time to be asking around and asking your peers and saying, hey, what have you paid in the past for this type mm -hmm. of project? Like, what's a realistic budget for this type of company? What should I expect here? And that too is a good guide for if somebody comes in way under that they're maybe super junior level, not very experienced because they don't know what to price their services at. Mm -hmm. If they're super high, that's either an indicator that they are in super high demand and do really excellent work and people are paying these rates all day long or that maybe that they're a bit too advanced for what you need. Maybe you need somebody on the lower end of the tier and so you need to continue asking around. Again, it's really difficult to do that without those benchmark ranges to yeah. refer to. So I think look at the data that's out there, ask around, kind of get a, a notepad full of, okay, here's what people have told me is realistic. Mm -hmm. And then you can see what people say in response and, and work from there. So let's just talk about in comparison, just in general. Give me sort of some examples of things that people would be commonly hired to write, right? A blog post, sure. website copy email campaigns or comparatively, what's going to cost me more blog post or website copy or a sales page or sort of how does it, how does it all sort of fall into place? Yeah. So I think these, these projects are scoped really differently. What I have heard is that the more direct sales oriented it is, the more expensive it is. So mm -hmm. a landing page, a sales page, that's either a flat fee or commission-based pricing. Mm -hmm. Again, it's, you can track the ROI very directly. So oftentimes those writers will be like, okay, I will charge you X thousand dollars to write this. And then I require 10% of all commissions that are generated through this page through X date. So that's one example. Blog posts are often priced like newspaper articles would be. So like in my, in my business, I price those per word just because it's the mm -hmm. easiest to kind of scope things. I would say you could see those ranges anywhere from 10 cents a word for somebody who's just getting started to up to a dollar 25 a word for somebody who's mm -hmm. super experienced and has a lot of subject matter expertise. So again, a lot of variance, a lot of range here, depending on so many different variables, but right. that's kind of a way to think about it. And what about one thing we haven't touched on at all, and I'm not going to go deep into it because that could be a whole other conversation, but the SEO <laughs> component of this. So are there, I'm guessing there are some people that are like, we really hiring you to write blog posts because this is at least in large part, a search engine play. And then there's other people that are probably like, I don't really care about search engines. This is more of a just sort of content play. Should SEO always be a part of any sort of writing gig? How important is it if I'm hiring a writer? How important is it that that person has is sort of has some expertise in SEO as opposed to just being a good writer? How important is it for writers to become SEO experts? Like, how do you see SEO play into this whole space? I think SEO is a big part of any type of writing. Just because think about how we get answers to our questions these mm -hmm. days. We go to Google and we type it in and whoever is in the top three results is the answer to the question. So there's a lot of opportunity there and companies have to be thinking about that when they're generating blog content. 
especially if they have pay-per-click ads going on as well. Those are very complimentary. So I think that that's one thing to consider. The, the area that falls outside of this play is kind of this media company approach where people are building thought leadership, they're building authority. They want to just kind of become the go-to source of trends and news and kind of a journalistic approach to whatever it is that they're writing about. That doesn't always have a huge SEO focus because it's more about we want to be the first ones talking about this. There's not even a lot out here ranking right now. This is new territory. So I think it can be a mix, but I think when it comes to blog content, SEO has to be at least 60% of the equation just because it is such a big opportunity in this moment and has been for years. What, and this is just sort of a total side question, but I'm curious your take on it, ghostwriting. How do you feel about ghostwriting, positive, negative, don't care, someone wants to hire you to write, but they're going to publish it under their own name. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. And I I do that all day long. I think most people are using ghostwriters, to be totally honest. I think for the writer, from my point of view, I do upcharge a little bit for ghostwritten pieces just because I'm not getting the authority, the SEO, the I can't put it in my portfolio because my name's not on it. So I do upcharge a little bit for that, but I think that it's it's pretty common and I think that it's a good practice because mm-hmm. people are busy and if they have things that they want to say and there's a writer who can help them do that, there's definitely a time and a place for it. And then the last piece of this was just once I hire a writer, I've listened to all your advice. I found someone awesome. I've hired them. Great. Any tips or suggestions for managing and working with writers on an ongoing basis to make it the best situation and get the best results for everyone? Yes. So number one, first and foremost, you have to have a strategy in place. Throwing a writer into a writing brief and saying, kick something out for us, it works, but it's not very objective oriented. So have a strategy, have a long game in, uh, approach in place before you get too far in with your investment and have a lot of documentation. So have onboarding materials, have a style guide, make sure that you're ensuring consistency with those types of resources because As you scale this and produce more content, if you're using a lot of different writers, that can get really messy. And if you're maintaining a brand presence, you want it to be very consistent and solid. So I think documentation is a big piece of the puzzle. Trusting writers to do a good job and use their own voice and build their own stories and narratives and things like that. But giving them some direction as far as here's the big picture goal that we're working towards. You can do your thing, but these are the things you need to know going in. So that's really helpful for the writer and for the company, too. So they're getting the most out of the investment. This was all great. Thank you, Kaylee. And I know you have a million other resources and stuff that you can help people on both sides of this equation. So let people know where they can check you out, where they can get more of your stuff and tap into your expertise. Where where should they go? Yeah. So Twitter, of course, I spend way too much time on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So that's a good place. I also have the Freelance Writing Coach podcast that I co-host with Emma Samasco. So that's anywhere you listen to podcasts. I have a newsletter that I send out twice a month. You'll find that on my site at KayleeMoore.com. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's a good way to cool. hear about what I'm watching and reading and and what I'm working on. Cool. Great. Thanks again for being here. For anyone that's listening to this, who I assume if you're still listening at this point, you are a writer or interested in writing. I actually have a skill session workshop that you can check out at joshspector.com slash sessions. 
that is about how to write your most successful blog post ever that I think you'll find helpful. If you use the discount code blog 25, the number 25, you can get it for just 25 bucks. Other than that, again, always check out my newsletter for the interested.com slash subscribe. I am on Twitter all the time. You can see me tweeting back and forth with Kaylee. If, if this conversation wasn't enough for you at Jay Spector. And if you would like to come on an episode of this podcast and ask me three questions, you can apply at joshspector.com slash questions. And that is it. I can't wait to see all the amazing things that you write when everybody hires you after you listen to this. I can't wait to see the amazing things that the writers you hire come up with. Please let us know if you have implemented any of this. We love to hear it. That's it. Thanks everybody for your interest. I will see you next week. Kaylee, thanks again. This was awesome. Thank you so much.